You know, when we think about Simeon's longing, and we see, and we'll see in a few moments, Anna and her passion for God, the big idea that we have for our time together today is this. Just as Simeon and Anna served God with devotion, let's live each day in the hope of seeing Jesus. I think this is a great way for us to approach our new year together. Um, The same passion, the same longing, the same desires that we see in Simeon just shown to us. Might God begin a work in our hearts, even today, stirring us that the love and the passion, the devotion that we see in Simeon and Anna might fuel a desire in our hearts as we hope and long for him. So let's, in our text, let's look at Simeon. We're looking from the book of Luke, chapter 2 again, and we're going to start in verse 22, and it says this about Simeon. And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice According to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two pigeons. And so what we learn from this section here is on the 40th day, there was a requirement in the Jewish law that uh, uh, the firstborn male was to be brought to Jerusalem because at the time of uh, their captivity in, in Egypt, you know, the plagues that were brought, there was the firstborn of Egypt died. And yet God protected Israel, protected the Jews. But he required that the firstborn male would belong to him and could be purchased back with a sacrifice. And so we see here that Mary and Joseph, poor as they were, went up to Jerusalem about five miles from Bethlehem to present him to the Lord. And in following the law of the Lord, they were to offer up a sacrifice. But one thing we learn here that we've heard before is that their sacrifice was a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. That would be the alternative to the lamb that was usually required. There was a a lamb that would be required for that sacrifice, for that son. But in this case, there was a provision, if you were extremely poor, that you could give these turtle doves and pigeons. And then verse 25, it says, now there was a man in Jerusalem, whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, and we're going to go on there and see what what happened, but let me just speak to this section here first. It says that Simeon was considered righteous and devout. Now, that doesn't mean that he was sinless. It means that when he sinned, which we all do, he would go and make the necessary sacrifices. And he was devout and devoted in his faith and his walking with God. But it says he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. You see, the prophets, especially in Isaiah, they gave many, many prophecies about a coming Messiah. Isaiah several times refers to this 
consolation of Israel, the, the idea that Messiah was going to console the people and set them free and forgive them. And for 700 years since Isaiah, the people had been longing, waiting, watching for this Messiah child. The consolation. We use the word, or the Greek word was parakletos. It's the same word that we have for the Holy Spirit, the comforter. They were an oppressed nation. They were an oppressed people. They were in difficult times. And they were looking for comfort. They were looking for freedom. They were longing for forgiveness. And it says while he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't actually live inside of you like it does with a believer now. We actually have, we are sealed in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit stays with us. But there was a presence and an anointing and an empowerment that came from time to time on those who were believers. And this man, and in fact, let's recognize it says he's, he's not a priest. He's not a Levite. He's a man who has this longing for Messiah. It says this man, in his longing, it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Even before the Holy Spirit indwelled people, the Holy Spirit was moving and working in people's lives. And at this point, he had even he had even have a revelation from the Holy Spirit. It wasn't an angel. It doesn't say anything about an angel doing this. It was an, an, an impression, a word, an understanding from God that he would not die before he saw the whole, before he saw the Christ child, the Messiah. And it says that he went, he would not see death before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. In verse 27, and it came in the spirit into the temple. He was about ready to see Jesus. But I want to draw out this thought here about the spirit. Because we see the Holy Spirit all throughout this man's life. We see that the Holy Spirit was upon him. We see that the Holy Spirit had revealed something to him. Revealed something to him about this coming Christ child. And it says that the Holy Spirit, it said, led him into the temple. And I want you to see the working of the Holy Spirit because I think that will be something that we have longed for and we've talked about and we've sought to experience more as a church. But you see how the Holy Spirit, even with this man, is speaking to him and leading him into the temple. And then it goes on in verse 28 and it says... He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So however it was, he knew when he saw this baby Jesus that this is the one, he took that child perhaps trembling, perhaps filled with joy, perhaps like those who had come and bowed down to him knowing that this is the Son of God. And he blessed God. 
His, his response in the goodness of God showing him these things is a response of blessing God, praising God. I was struck by that. I was thinking, how, how frequent is that what's coming out of my mouth? When I see the power and the goodness and the grace and the mercy of God, our thanksgivings and praise and glory coming from my lips as I consider the goodness of God. And he said, Lord, you're, you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. And it wasn't, there wasn't a Bible promise that told Simeon that he was going to see this Christ child. This was a word that God had given to him. This is a Holy Spirit word to him. And we know that, you know, our understanding of those words are not always, are not always perfect. And that's why the scripture tells, tells us when we have those kind of prophetic thoughts and moments to test those. The Bible says that we should test those things and have those tested. So we humbly hold those words. But those are legitimate promises. Those are legitimate promptings that God, the Father, is giving to his people. At least that's what it seems like in this example. He said, thank you that you, you gave me what you promised. And now I can depart in peace. Because or for my eyes have seen your salvation. How did he see his salvation? Because he saw the one who brought salvation. Jesus had not even grown up yet. Jesus had not suffered for him yet. And yet, in just seeing Jesus and, and seeing that baby there and knowing the promise of Messiah, by seeing that child, he knew, I've seen your salvation. And when we talk about, as Christians, our faith in God, our faith is not in our activities, it's not in our religious duties, it's not in our attendance, it's not in our giving. It's not in our good deeds. Our salvation is in a person. God so loved the world that he gave his son. And if you would believe in him, if you would trust him for your salvation, if you would understand that his life was a representative life to die in your place, to pay for your sin, if you understand that he came on a mission to give his life as a ransom for many, if you put your hope and trust in him and for salvation, in receiving him, you receive the gift of salvation. And your sins are forgiven. And it would be a tragedy to come through this season of Christmas and not to see that your salvation is wrapped up in a child, was wrapped up in the sacrifice of the Son of God. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. God made this visible. Made this salvation available to all peoples. A light of revelation to the Gentiles. We see here in the Christmas story the declaration that this child was also for us. Salvation was made available to all of us through this child. And it's also for the glory of the people of Israel because Israel is the one who brought the prophecies to us. 
Israel is the one who brought the baby Jesus to us. So there is a special glory for the people of Israel because they are the ones who made clear to us a Savior that was born for us. Then verse 33 it says, And his father and his mothers marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts for many hearts, from many hearts may be revealed. You see, in his purpose, in Simeon's purpose of being a means of declaration, he also was a means of comfort and prophecy to these parents here. It says he, Simeon blessed them in verse 34. He blessed them both, you know, praying a blessing over Joseph, praying a blessing over Mary. If I were in their place, I would say, could, could we have a double portion of that, <laughs> raising this child? If I had known what was coming, I would pray, could you just continue to pray blessings on us? But he blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel, the fall to those who are stumbled by him, who would judge him, who would arrogantly contend with him and refute him and deny him and reject him. A fall for those people. But he's also for the rising of many in Israel, for those who would in humble meekness look to him for salvation. And he says it's also, he's a sign that is opposed. He's speaking for, about the future where he will be opposed even by religious leaders, even by the majority, rejected. And then he says specifically to Mary, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. A sword will pierce through your own soul also. And this was said to Mary. This is one of the reasons we believe that Joseph had passed away before Jesus' public ministry had begun. All these things, the, the falling and the rising and the sign to be opposed and the sword to pierce the heart. He turned and he spoke to Mary and God in his kindness wanted to let Mary know well before this had ever happened, a sword's going to pierce your heart also. You know, God is kind to us, even in, in many of our situations as we've kind of faced difficulties. Have you experienced the comforter saying, I'm going to walk with you through this fire? We, we had a, a word this morning from the scriptures through the fire, through the floods, through the difficulties, I'm going to be with you. Hear the comforter. The Holy Spirit speaking to Mary says, this is coming. This is coming. And he says, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. People will have to deal with the truth. The truth is going to be seen. The truth is going to be heard. 
And then we had Anna. Anna just pops up on the, on the, uh, the situation there. In verse 36, it says, There was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting and praying night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of, of Jerusalem. Anna was a pretty amazing person. She was also a prophetess. So God also was speaking to her and through her to others. And it says that she was advanced in years. She had been with her husband since she was a virgin for seven years. Now, women at that time frequently were, you know, there's different ages that are, that are thought, but probably somewhere around age 14, 13 to 16, somewhere, but approximately age 14, she was married for seven years to her husband. So that puts her early 20s. And now she's 84, 60-some years. This is what God is doing in her heart. This is how God is filling her desires. This is how God is fulfilling his purposes. It says that she did not depart from the temple. Speaking about being in gatherings together on a regular basis. She did not depart from the temple Worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. That was her life. Her life was to be, to be in the presence of God, to experience God, to hear His word, to be around those who were in fellowship with God, to be in the place where the presence of God was most strongly manifesting. She was fasting. She was praying night and day. I don't know if you envy any of that. That is a, like a, an amazing testimony. But she also, because I think of her heart's longings, because of that passion she had for God, you see that God rewards that in this situation. God blesses that, and we could see that in the Old Testament, that those who have such a, a heart devotion, that God reveals his secret purposes to such people. And it says, and coming up at that very hour again, just very closely linked in step with the Holy Spirit, coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God. Again, notice the Holy Spirit in filling this person and praise to God flowing out of this person. She began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem because she was also waiting. She was also looking. And she knew, I know you're looking for it too. I want to tell you about this baby. Oh, I, we've had this conversation before. I know that you're looking for the redemption of Israel. I mean, it seems as though this was a conversation, this was a, a hope that was communicated among many because she was, it says that she was going to all those people 
who are waiting for that redemption of Jerusalem, that Messiah coming to save them, to deliver them, to comfort them. Now, Simeon and Anna are, are compelling models. And I just want to look at just three things about them that I think would stir our affections and our passion in this new year for God. So clearly they were devoted. Clearly they were devoted. Simeon says he was righteous. That meant he kept the law. He was, he was, devo- he was a devout follower. He was waiting. His response to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, you know, he was just in step. Anna, we saw that she didn't, wouldn't depart from the temple. She was fasting and praying and worshiping day and night. And I think about this new year. How, how will I know if my devotion is, has increased? Like, there's so many ways that I could change or so many ways I should change, so many ways I could grow, so many things to think about growing. And so I'm not the Holy Spirit, and I don't know what God puts his finger on in your heart. I usually have several things the Lord puts on my heart, kind of prompts me, kind of pricks me a little bit. But you know that first century church, when they were just getting started, it says that they were devoted also. And from this category, this is a men you might think about as you pray about this next year. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, that's the Bible, to fellowship, that's being together and participating and serving and ministering together. To the breaking of bread, I think that has to do with fellowship as well, but I think it also has to do with keeping the gospel in front of you, remembering what he's done for us, and prayers. And, you know, regarding this conversation about goals and habits, I, like, I'm always picked of the pastors. Like, you, Greg, you could do the message before the new year, you know, because they know that I kind of like this kind of stuff, you know. I'm like... If I'm with you all, just check me off for the next year. If you want to know, like, who's speaking that last year, it's probably me. I told somebody I got the small straw, you know. But it's because I like, because I'm wired to think in terms of goals and so forth and habits and routines and so forth. And some of you are like, man, I hate those things. They just make me feel condemned all the time. And so I haven't said anything about that for quite a while because I think I've been, like, reading and studying about, like, how, how is this how can we make this more palatable to more of us? And I, I don't, and so I, I have a few, a few little quotes here that, uh, you know, this is not a Christian writer that, to my knowledge, Atomic Habits by James Clear is a, a book that I would say is a, great, is a great book. So I just want to give you three thoughts that he gave that I think will help you as you think about how can I orient my life to being more devoted to God this next year? So I love these quotes. So he said this. He said, you do not rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. You don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. And what that means is, you know, most of us when we've, and I like what he said in other places in the book, but, you know, a lot of times when we set these goals, like, I'm going to read the Bible every day. I'm going to do my four chapters. I'm going to get through the Bible in one year, you know, I'm going to lose 10 pounds, and I'm going to go to the gym. 
and I want to do this, I want to learn a language, and I do all these things. And so I spend all my months or weeks or days, however far I get in that, and I just am failing every day. I'm like falling behind every day. And so I don't think that that's helpful. I don't think that that's helpful. I think when you think of goals like that, you will always be in catch-up mode or failing mode, it seems like. And so I think that there's a different ways of thinking about these things. But one thing I think is different is thinking about the way I walk out my life, the things I you know, just kind of build into my life and the habits that I have. In time, that system, whether I, I'm consistent or not or whether I just do it sometimes, it pays dividends. It does. Like let's say you said, I'm going to memorize a verse a month, you know, and you do it for one month and you hey, don't do it anymore. Well, you learn one verse. And you have that verse the rest of your life. And maybe you say, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for the missionaries on Tuesdays every week. And you prayed once. About two months later, you felt guilty enough that you said, maybe I should do that again. You know? But the fact is, they benefited from your prayers because you, you prayed. And so rather than thinking about how you can set yourself up to fail or hate your, hate your, your goals, it's better for you to start thinking about I want to be more devoted in this area. And so his second quote here is, too often we convince ourselves that massive results require massive action. They don't. Most, most results come from a, a little bit of change in a habit. A little bit of a change in a habit. Like this year I want to write, read the Bible more. What does that mean? Well, I wasn't doing it hardly at all before. Now I've read it a few times, and so I'm reading it more. I'm, right now, I've been, <clears throat> we had a great uh, ambassador weekend, and we focus on the area of prayer. And I really, I'm tired of feeling convicted about not praying. I, I like, I'm tired of talking about it. <laughs> so I just thought, I'm going to do something about this. And so I'm attempting to go on walks every day. Now, I haven't made it every day. I've already failed multiple times. But I've gone on a number of, a lot of walks, a lot of walks. And sometimes I pray a little bit, and sometimes I pray a lot. But I walk every day, most every day. And I'm praying more than I have prayed in a long time. But I, I get side benefits from walking, too, because I get to see the beautiful creation. I get to get outside. And once I get out there, I really enjoy it. And I've met neighbors, and I've, you know... And I listen to music, and, and um, it's really, you know, I get more steps in that day, too, you know, so it's really good. I mean, that's a big step. From, that's, a big, that's a big step. So, you know, I'm not asking you to, to do that. But there are small steps that you can take that make a difference. Like when you're finished talking with somebody, you say, hey, before we go, can we just pray about that? What you just told me? Because a lot of us say, you know, I'll pray about that, and then we don't. <laughs> we intend to. have good aspirations, but we don't. But, well, let's say the, the small step was when you're about ready to leave that person, they just kind of poured out their guts to you or said something important, something's happening, just say, hey, could we just pray for that? And it probably is going to take you 30 seconds to two minutes, probably. Now you've changed your life. You've changed, you've changed the course of things because God is going to hear that prayer and he's going to answer it. But anyway, 
Too often we convince ourselves that massive results require massive action. And that's why, you know, he talks about atomic habits. They're just small things. Small things. Like, I'm going to eat more healthy. That's, that's my, my goal this year. I want to be a more healthy person. So that might mean I don't take a second piece of pie that day. Or, you know, I only eat three pieces of toast instead of four or two or whatever. Small steps. But you don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your systems. The way you do things, you're going to get the same results. And too often we convince ourselves that massive results require massive action. Lastly, every action you take is a vote for the person you wish to become. I think that's help, more helpful than thinking about, I, I failed again, I failed again, I failed again, I failed again. I didn't do it. I didn't stay on my diet. I didn't do this. But every time you do what you wanted to do, you just voted for yourself. You said, no, I am, I am making healthy choices. You know, I did pray. And so you become a different person in your heart and mind as you, as you make those steps count. Actually, I read the Bible today. Yay, that's good. That's good. Anyway, back to scriptures. Um, filled with the Spirit. Filled with the Spirit. And so, as we were noticing, there's a lot of the involvement of the Spirit in these, in these dear saints' lives, in Simeon and Anna's life. I mean, they were, the Spirit was on them. The Spirit was directing them. The Spirit was speaking to them. The Spirit was helping them. Don't you want more of that? I mean, as I look at this next year of my life, I want, I want more of the Spirit in my life. I want to be more empowered. I want to make choices that are consistent with his call for me. And so as I see their lives, you know, and I remember back throughout the Scriptures how many times the disciples knew what to do. They had his example. They had his lives. They had his teaching. They had all these things. But he says, I want you to wait because you need the Spirit to do what I'm going to ask you to do. And so his disciples were waiting and praying because they needed the, the direction. They needed the empowerment of the Spirit. Familiar section, Ephesians 5. Uh, these are a portion of the scriptures here in Ephesians 5. But it says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of time because the days are evil. So how do I know what's wise and what's not wise? Well, some of it is the truth that I know and experiences that I've gained. But he goes on and says, be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody in your, to the Lord in your heart. Giving thanks, again, here we go again, giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus. I believe that we need to learn to be filled with the Spirit. Now the idea in the Greek here of being filled with the Spirit is not something you do. It's more about letting Him do it. There's a, there's a tense here that in the Greek that says there's somebody else is doing this in you, and it's, you're letting the Spirit fill you. And so maybe you feel like, I don't know what that means. Well, why don't you ask God, Lord, would you teach me to discern and know how to be filled with your Holy Spirit? Your Heavenly Father who gave you his Holy Spirit, who, that was part of your inheritance. That was a down payment he gave you when you believed in him. He gave you the Spirit. Just say, Lord, I don't know what that even means. Help me to be filled. Help me to let you fill me 
because I'm going to be around a lot of people and I'm going to make a lot of decisions. I'm going to make a lot of mistakes and I'm going to need your joy and your help and your strength. Be filled with the Spirit. I think that's, as I think about this next year, I hope this is a year we can look back as a church and say, you know, I think, I think the Holy Spirit was really moving powerfully on our, on our people and in my life. And then thirdly, watching. Worship team, you can come. Watching. You know, the Bible talks about two advents. You know, the first is when Jesus came the first time. And then Jesus is coming again. So most of what we just saw was the, the first advent, which was Jesus coming for the first time at Christmas. But the second advent has not yet happened. But if you look at the scriptures, there is a strong exhortation to be looking for and eagerly desiring the Holy Spirit, excuse me, the return of Jesus Christ. And speaking of that first advent, in Titus chapter 2, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. That's speaking about Jesus coming. He's called here the grace of God has appeared. It really is talking about Jesus coming, bringing salvation for all people. And, And the result of him coming the first time is that grace, that grace of God is also training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright in God's lives at the present age. So that fact that he came and that his spirit came and that he's working in us, he's putting us this desire to live holy and upright lives. But it says also what's, what's stirring us to live differently is it says that It's training us because, verse 13, we're waiting for our blessed hope. We're waiting for our blessed hope. The appearing of the glory of our our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, the anticipation and the longing and the looking for Jesus to come back, actually that has that effect in us to train us and makes us a different people. When's the last time you, you were like, Lord Jesus, please come. Lord Jesus, please come back. And I think it's kind of harder for American Christianity. I think it really is because we have such a pampered life. We have such an easy life. We have such a protected life. We have such an abundance of stuff and material things around us. And we've kind of trained ourselves into thinking that we can solve all the world's problems and all the issues around us and all our health issues and all these things like that. So we've, we've, we've become very accustomed to not even thinking about Jesus as the, as his return is what we really need. But in that day and in that situation, when they were oppressed and they were hungry and they were, they were struggling in many ways, looking for Jesus is much easier. And as I read, you know, regularly, you know, things from the, the, about the martyrs that are going on now and the, and the difficulties that Christians are going through now and suffering across our world, more, there's more persecution now than there's ever been in history, ever. There's more people being abused and thrown into prisons and all kinds of difficulties. Wouldn't this be a good time for Jesus to come back? 
Wouldn't it be good and right for God to come and be with us, take us, take his people? 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. Uh, first, excuse me, 1 John chapter 3, verses 2 and, and 3, it says this. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. You want to you be more pure this year? You want to have more godly motives? More good deeds, more good works? Long for his return. Look for his return. Ask him. Ask him for his return. Hasten his return. The end of the scriptures, the end of the Bible, the end of what God revealed in his written scriptures, Revelation 22, it says, He who testifies to all he says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. We are closer than any Christians have ever been. If anyone ever longed for Jesus to come, if anyone ever prayed for him to come, if anyone ever reminded other believers he's coming. Hey, how about finishing off conversations with that? Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord. What if we, what if we started rem- helping each other just remember, hey, it's bad. It's challenging. We're suffering. Come Lord Jesus. If we start doing that, what would that, it would, it would give at least the opportunity to raise our eyes off of this and to see him. So our big idea, just as Simeon and Anna served God with devotion, let's live each day in the hope of seeing Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, there's so many ways that you could change us, and we're slow to change. And some of us have been hoping for it, looking at it, trying to do it, trying everybody else's systems, and Lord, we're, we're kind of done with that. But Lord, I believe that you want to bless your people, transforming our minds, giving us faith where we've given up, granting hope where we have not had it, hope for a long time, and filling us with not only a longing, but also an expectation of your good presence with us. And so, Lord, as we look into this new year, no matter how bleak it gets, no matter how difficult it gets, we thank you that we know and we have a Savior. We have a Heavenly Father. We have a very present Holy Spirit comforting us and empowering us. And so, Lord, we look with hope to our new year, and we ask you to visit this church in in ways that you'll get so much thanks and so much glory. In Jesus' name, amen.